It's been almost uh, four years since I, I first arrived here at this parish. Um, and when I arrived, the first Sunday I was here, I asked everyone, I asked everyone for a couple of Sundays, tell me what you love about your parish. Tell me what you love about your parish. Now, it wasn't a trick. Well, I mean, it wasn't a trick. It, it was really about garnering information, what mattered to you, and also what didn't really matter to you, right? Because a lot of times when you, when you arrive, it's not my first time, right? A lot of times you arrive at a parish, you, you hear a lot of negatives. And um, so I thought, well, let's try something different this time. Let's, let's hear what people love and, and let's turn it into a positive, but also by negation, what do they not love, you know? Um, so when I arrived, it was just, it's really interesting. It's always really interesting to hear what you notice, what you don't notice, what matters to you, what doesn't matter to you, what you comment on, what you don't. Um, and recently on that topic, um, it's just been fascinating that the Pieta has been with us for about two months now, and nobody has asked me the question, why did you pick the Pieta? And that's okay. Now, I think the reason is, duh, why would you not pick the Pieta? You know, it's just so obviously beautiful. Like, it's clearly a winner, right? I mean, if you're going to pick a statue, like, that's perhaps the most famous statue in the history of the world. Um, but, it's, but it's just interesting. You know, now some of you, you know, may not prefer it and, and the rest. There's always that. When you have a parish of, of 12,000, 15,000 people, you know, you're, you're going to have that. But it was interesting. It's just interesting. Now, what I'd like to do today is actually a little bit of a meditation on the Pieta. So what I'm going to ask those of you in this section to do, and if you need to stand, it's okay, is to actually turn and face the Pieta for just, just a couple minutes, not the whole homily. If you can't do it, you can't. But uh, everybody else can see, and I know we're, we're putting this on the screens outside. So, of course, uh, the Pieta, carved by uh, Michelangelo, was commissioned in 1497 and took about two years to complete, uh, forged from, carved from uh, one solid block of marble. And, um, of course, you know, Michelangelo, famous for saying that the statue was already in there. I just had to reveal it. Um, it it's really a, a fascinating uh, specimen. The, the actual Pieta stands five foot eight inches. This one is about six feet, so it's very close to the actual size. You know, of course, marble looks a little different than this, but um, well, you can see a few things here. You see the drama in... The statue, the drama actually comes from the cloak of Jesus and Mary. Um, the, not all of the drama, but much of the drama comes from how he carved the, um, her cloak, her veil, and, and his as well. That's what gives it sort of movement. You also notice that Mary is much larger than Jesus. This is, of course, for perspective um, and to be able to to make it look right that she would be holding, you know, a grown man in her lap. Um, 
He was criticized early on, uh, although not very much, but he was criticized a bit for making Mary look so youthful. She would have been presumably well into her 40s um, at this time, and she certainly doesn't look it there. Um, not that 40 is too old, or nothing, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Um, we, have, <laughs> we have beautiful, beautiful women in their 40s. Um, but she looks very, very youthful. Now, what he said was the reason he did that was to convey that she was ever virgin, that she was innocent of sin. She was, you know, her purity, basically. It's, it's to convey artistically that, not to be a one-for-one a one representation, right, of what she would have looked like. Um, now, as you meditate on the statue... We remember what happened, that this is Jesus after he's taken from the cross. He's dead. He has died. She has watched her only son die a horrible death, a death given for criminals, a completely unjust death. He's taken from the cross and given to her, lifeless, and she, she holds him and in this way also accepts not just, of course, the body of her son, but continues, as she did throughout all of her life, to accept the Father's will. Just as Jesus accepted the Father's will, so she did as well. And in this way, she participated or cooperated in a way that no one else did in salvation. Not that she's responsible for salvation, of course. That was Christ's saving death on the cross. But her yes, God desired to make her yes a part of salvation. And part of the reason he did this is because it was the no of Eve that brought about sin. And so it would be the yes of the new Eve that would bring about redemption. He wanted humanity to be a part of redemption, to involve us in that. And so when we reflect on on the Pieta, we see also something we say is beautiful, that this is a beautiful statue. It's, It's facet. Catholics are really an odd group because we have all these things we call beautiful that somebody who doesn't know wouldn't consider them beautiful. Like we, we wear a crucifix around our neck. Um, and to, if you just consider what that is and represents, and yet so often we say that's a beautiful crucifix. And we don't really, I mean, sometimes we mean it because of the material, but because of the act itself. And so, you know, now that your necks are getting tired, if you, you can certainly turn back um, Thank you for that. Um, so let's, let's focus on, on that, that observation of beauty relative to a scene of suffering. Pieta, the crucifix. We look at these scenes and we say, or statues and symbols, and we say, that's beautiful. We find, we can find, beauty in suffering. We find it in the actions of Jesus, of course. We find it in the actions of Mary. 
her cooperation in that suffering and her own suffering, deep suffering, as she watched her own son die, not knowing what she experienced that death like any mother would. She didn't know he would rise on the third. I mean, they had some sense something was going to happen. They had to because he had said too many things, but they clearly, by their response, didn't really know what was going to happen or how it would play out. So she felt it all. And that's, of course, an incredible amount of suffering that a mother would endure. Finding beauty in suffering is really an amazing thing to consider. Now, when you are in the midst of suffering, it's pretty hard to find it. After you have suffered greatly, particularly, right? But, I mean, any suffering is suffering, but... If you have not yet been healed or that suffering has not been redeemed, can't see the beauty, not really. Because there is a reality of having suffered and truly being a victim of suffering. That's a reality. But then what God wants to do is he wants to take us. He doesn't want to keep us in this victim state. In one sense, we always remain a victim of the suffering or or perhaps abuse that, that, that we've endured. But... Um, he doesn't want us to, to, to remain with that identity as a victim. He wants us to know his redemption and healing. Okay, so within the, uh, our, our Catholic theology itself, it's important to have a good balance. It's one of the things I try to drive home is having a balance so that if, if a church is so solely focused on sin and repentance and suffering and you know, culture wars and the rest, you have a very negative sort of environment that's created. If you have a church that's solely focused on resurrection without suffering, there's a, there's a certain banality to that, right? The, the, the victory of resurrection isn't really a victory if you didn't have to struggle. You know, um, a football team that wins the, the championship but didn't have to play 16, well, what is it now? Eight, 17, 17 games plus the playoffs, but didn't have to struggle through that. It's, it's a sort of, it's a pyrrhic victory. It's an empty victory without the suffering, without the, the arduousness that, that went into it. And so too, the victory of Christ's resurrection, the greatness of it, it's great because of the magnitude of the suffering. And so to ourselves and our own lives then, we're given a share in all of it, suffering and resurrection. And there are times in our life where we're very much living Good Friday. There are months and sometimes years where it's Good Friday and we wonder when Easter Sunday will ever come or will it come again? And some people, it's just their life, you know, they're, they're in that place for a long time. And it's not fair It's not necessarily unjust, but it's not fair. Sometimes it's unjust. But what our Lord desires to do is make a reality in us what was made a reality in him. That the Good Friday doesn't last forever. The suffering doesn't, it will not last forever. And you might say, Father, you don't know my life. It's been a long time. I'm telling you, it cannot last forever because forever is for God. 
He will not keep you in that forever. And so if we allow ourselves to give that suffering over to him, it doesn't mean to willfully endure what is unjust. That's different. But the suffering that just comes and happens or is done to us and then we get out of it, it remains with us. There's all of this collateral damage from suffering and and sometimes abuse that stays with us. And it can be difficult to, to feel resurrected or redeemed. It can be difficult to feel goodness after that. But what God desires to do is to bring us to that point of victory. It, it can happen. And those of you who have been through it, you can testify. If you've had great suffering, if you've suffered greatly, and then you've lived through being a victim, which is real, and then lived through Christ healing you and redeeming you and resurrecting you, you can testify to those who haven't felt that yet or known that yet that God does this. And then we can look back on that suffering in a odd way and see the beauty in it because it brought about a greater glory and goodness. And without the suffering, it couldn't have done that. It's happened in my life personally. I can testify to this. I can witness to that, that the suffering that I have endured, some of it self-imposed, some of it not, that the suffering that I have endured, the Lord has redeemed and brought great goodness from it. And it's amazing. And I can look back on this, not that I want to go back, <laughs> I don't want it again, but there's a, in a strange way, there's a beauty to it because it brought me to a greater goodness. And I know many of you can, can speak to the same, you know, we, we talk about things like, uh, you know, I learned more through my failures than my victories, or uh, yeah, I didn't want to go through that suffering, but it sure taught me a lot. You know, we talk about this in a sort of colloquial way in different experiences, and that's part of what this is. And so if you're in the midst of suffering now and you can't see your way out, trust that the Lord will help you find your way out. If you have suffered and you're still really feeling victimized or you're, you're still really feeling the weight of that injustice, which is, you know, that's all real stuff. It's important to feel that. But remember, God doesn't want to keep you there and it's not healthy to stay there. It's not good for us to stay in that mode forever. We need to go through that phase to get to redemption and resurrection. One of the perennial questions people ask themselves, they wonder, they'll sometimes ask me, does God really love me? Are my sins too great that they can't be forgiven? Have I done too many things wrong that I can't be redeemed? Is there really a place for me? I mean, I've lived through so much and, and I've had these things happen in my life that are pretty horrible. It, has God forgotten about me? And what I love about the Pieta is I, I truly believe it says to us, God has not forgotten about you. Your sins are not too great to be forgiven. 
that the Lord's love for us is so profound, he will never forget about you. And although the plan may seem murky and unclear where God is leading you, he is leading you. And he will bring you to redemption and to resurrection.